Hello and welcome everybody back to Eyes on the Mize. My name is John. That's Ian. Hey. And today is September 7th. This is episode 28. Kaladesh has us in the ether sphere. How is it already September? I don't know. Things happen. The sun. Time. Time. Why you go so fast? <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Uh, again, we are going to be talking all about Kaladesh and the post-Pax doldrums. I saw a lot of uh, hashtag uh, post-Pax depression uh, yeah. tweets going around. Yeah, hashtag PPD is real. Let me tell you about that. <laughs> My God. But real quick, before we get into the topics, let's go ahead and do two quick things. One, the Kaladesh spoilers have started. Your pre-releases are going to be on the 24th. Uh, I think it's 23rd and 24th. Yeah. Yes, dates check out. No. Yeah, it's 23rd and 24th. Might be 24th, 25th, because I know the set release is on the 30th, and I think that's 23rd a Friday. 23rd is a Friday. So it'll be midnight Friday. So yeah, technically pre-releases are on the 24th. Um, and we're going to talk all about Kaladesh, but real quick, we want to give a quick shout-out, because Ian and I, we did our top four predictions last week. Uh, I know, come on. The two, the two picks we shared and it were LSV and Owen, and Owen did not do very well, and LSV got sixth, which is nice. Well, he called back from one and three. Which so. is true. Uh, then we each had somebody who also did very poorly, because I had Yuya, who just tanked, and you had uh, Martin, right? Mm, yeah, poor Martin. But we each got a top four competitor correct, I got BBD correct, and you had... Uh, Oliver 2. Yep, Oliver 2. 2 and, and BBD 1. So yeah. that makes me the best host. Uh, I'm going to retire champion now, and I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> No, no please, the, whole time I was, the whole time I was like watching where Martin was, I was like, oh no, I'm going to hear about this one on the podcast. But no, um, I, everyone's like incredibly happy for BBD. Uh, I am too. I was like, yeah. to be honest, I was kind of shocked that Oliver made it, like even though I picked him, but like that kid can play some magic. Yeah, I think it went undefeated entirely in Constructed. If I think, I think that's correct. No, th- no, it is true because he got a draw in Constructed. He never lost. Yeah, he can, that kid can play. Like, oh, yeah. Seriously, he is a name we are going to be hearing for a while. Like, on the lines of, like, Shahar, basically. Like, he's yeah. in that kind of verified stratosphere. Yeah, LSV can keep sure. using uh, Little Kid Luck for a little while longer. Oh, yeah. The, the Little Kid Luck is transferred on to, an, to a new prodigy. But, no, it, um, I didn't get to watch much of the World Championships because I was at PAX. Um, I did watch some of it and tweeted some pictures and messaged John. I'm like, "Hey, John, where am I?" And he's like, "You're you're you're there." <laughs> I'm like, "Yep." It was me. Like I was standing like two rows from the actual stage at one point. Um, so I guess we can kind of roll into packs. Why not? Like, uh, well, real quick um, before we get into the packs breakdown, we did have one announcement that I actually forgot to put on the show notes that I want to mention oh. is LSV. Um, Luis oh Vargas. yeah! Um, this... He is not playing Pro Tours next year. Yeah, uh, he he deferred his platinum status for a year. Yep, and he's going to be full time coverage. Oh yeah! When I first heard that, like I was like, oh, sh-. hashtag dad life. Yeah, uh, new kid I'm, I'm, and yeah, I'm almost like I don't know if he actually said like why he was doing it, but I would not put it past him for the whole you know one work. His company's helping push out two new products this year at least, plus another game I think they're working on at Direwolf. Uh, so it's like that's Eternal and the uh, Elder Scrolls game. They're also working on Clank. Yeah, that's another one too. one other game. Yeah, so they're, they're hot and heavy in development for that stuff, so I can't blame them there. And he just had a kid. 
Yeah. So like everyone's like, oh, you know, Pro Tour testing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Pro Tour testing is intense. Like yeah. if you've seen some of their vlogs and some of the behind the scenes videos they show, like they go to Pro Tours like two or three weeks in advance just to do that stuff. And I can imagine that going to pro, to the Pro Tour two to three weeks in advance to test on top of everything else. I mean, just prep for uh, coverage just should be enough for him for a year end. He did mention on stream why, and one of it was he did he did just have a newborn, um, so he wants to be more around more for that. Uh, and he also said that he's still still going to try and prepare the same way that he would normally for a pro tour, except obviously at a little bit lower intensity. So he's probably going to be with the testing team for C- for CFB while they're prepping for the pro tour, and he's just going to take that directly into the booth as opposed to trying to bring a standard deck. Well, I mean that also means we get a man on the inside for coverage and testing and all that kind of crazy stuff for uh, for footage and stuff too i mean i know they, they embed people and have the interviews and stuff but it'd be kind of cool to see from an it also means, pro's perspective it also means we have 14 more rounds of puns or 15, 16 more rounds of puns dude I, this is like a situation where the audience can't lose it's really true i want to miss lsv playing and i think ian you are too oh, oh man yeah. he said he's also going to stream still so well, I would hope so. <laughs> Anyways, that's enough about stuff that happened at PAX. Let's hear the PAX breakdown for somebody who was actually there, because I was stuck here in Nashville while Ian <laughs> was actually at the show. So, Ian, talk to us about PAX. PAX was an, uh, an event. Let's <laughs> if you've never been to a PAX or any other event like this, if you've been to like a com- Comic-Con or something like that, with the exception of San Diego Comic-Con, uh you're not ready for the scale of what PAX is. Like, I've done two PAX South before in San Antonio, and I walked into this PAX, and I was like, my God, it was crazy. But a lot of fun. Um, So what ended up happening at this PAX, if you watched the coverage that we mentioned before, uh, I think last week, is they took over the Paramount Theater, which is just a block removed from the actual convention center itself. And because before last year, they were in like this building called the Annex and it was like one floor of the Annex and it was apparently really crowded, really cramped. They couldn't really fit a whole lot of people in there and run a lot of events without, you know, really having to limit numbers. So they rented out an entire theater, which is crazy. So they basically put a thing, boards across the entire floor. The seats are all removed. Boards across the entire floor um, and had tables galore that you that you saw on coverage when they were doing the uh, – you know, like sorting out their draft things and all that kind of stuff. And they had t- chairs for the audience. Um, you guys probably saw in the coverage as well. Just tons of cool little adornments. Everybody who was working there was wearing costumes, which were really cool. Uh, they did it upright. Oh, and the cosplayers, man, there were some amazing, amazing cosplayers. Christine Sprankle straight up killed it as the new version of Chandra. And I believe her name is April Dixon. Um, she does other kind of makeup stuff and like Indian-based like costumes. And I was actually talking to uh, Liz Smith, uh, damn it, Liz, who is the person who works on this stuff for Watsi and like sets this all up. So this was like one of her brainchilds and stuff like that. I know her from Desert Bus and stuff. So I ran into her and I was like talking. And she, they apparently found her through like Instagram or something like that and said, hey, do you want to come out and do this for us? Um, she apparently never played Magic. The person. This is a person who was the Sahili cosplayer. So it was really cool that like they were able to get somebody in like that. And apparently, April and uh, Christine, uh, who did the Chandra, really hit it off. Had a great weekend. Um, it's great to kind of introduce the game to new people who wouldn't have done that stuff before. Because I mean, 
it's pretty cool. So we got a new audience there with that kind of thing. Uh, I, I attended some of the panels. I was there for the opening ceremonies and the one that came right. Is it world building? The one after that was world building, yeah. Yeah, the world building panel and then the mechanics panel. I will say this. The mechanics panel was really dry. It kind of was. I mean, I was watching it on stream, and, you know, they are talking about mechanics, and it's hard to get excited about, you know, nuts and bolts. I know they, I, I noticed that they tried really hard with the pictures of the whiteboards and the playtest cards. Yeah, well, so basically being the audience for that one, what ended up happening is it was exciting at the beginning when they were talking about some of the new stuff, but then after a while it basically became this, we tried this, it didn't work, we tried this, it didn't work, so we tried this, and it worked, which... As you've heard anything, anytime Mark Warswater speaks, that's basically what it is. We tried a bunch of things, didn't really work. We tried this one, it worked, we made it a card. I mean, that was um, even in the Drive to Work panel that I saw on the replay, where it's like, we tried a, we tried a bunch of things, and it was work, and it didn't work, and then we tried things that work, and it's fun. Um, yeah. Mark's, one of Mark's quotes is always, you know, we play a lot of terrible magic, so you don't have to. Oh, yeah, and that's and it really shows in a lot of sets and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah. Uh, but the world building panels were really great. Uh Jimmy did a great job hosting the opening ceremonies. I caught some of the closing ceremonies live, but I watched it again on a replay on YouTube because at the time when the closing ceremony was going on, I had just finished the A Loading Ready Run panel and was walking to the Omegathon, which is the actual PAX finale thing. So I was doing that, but I got to actually do a two-headed draft there, which was really fun, uh, do it with my girlfriend. And we went one, one, and one. <laughs> Funny thing is, is so we had a pla- she was playing red black and I was playing blue green. She had a Triskaidekaphobia, nice in hand, ready to go, and it would have basically we we had enough creatures to be able to put them like math wise down to thirteen, pass it, and then say, all right, you have one turn to deal with this enchantment or gain life. Of course, the turn we she drew it. We she wanted we wanted to make a play a creature or whatever like that before, so we held it a turn, pass a turn to our opponents. They play Tree of Perdition. Oh no. <laughs> We're like, well, that card's literally dead. Um, note to self, I messed up and we all messed up. Uh, the opponents, our opponents used Tree of Perdition to actually make their own life total change. That's, yeah, you got to be careful on that. No, no, yeah. And we played on, like, I just, I was like, wait, something didn't seem right. Oh, whatever. Because we put them down to, like, two. And then they made their life total. It would have been lethal. Then they bumped their life total back up and their attack put them down to two again. Mm. I was an idiot, though, as well, because we had... Okay, so the packs were, you got a pack of Eternal Masters, a pack of Modern Masters 2015, two packs of uh, Eldritch Moon, one Shadows over Innistrad, yeah, and uh, leaves two packs left. So it was, so it was uh, a Chaos Seal, basically? Yeah, it was a Chaos Seal, basically. Um, an Oath, it was either Oath or Battle for Zendikar, and Origins. Mm. So I think it was Oath and Origins that we had. So she had the uh, the one Elf... Is one like one in the black for a two one or a one two, and it's the one that whenever it attacks opponent target opponent loses one life or oh, the, the one mana one. one. It's a uh, the thornbow archer. Yeah, thornbow archer. Yeah, we had a thornbow archer in play. So if we had swung with the thornbow archer, even if it had been blocked, we would have had him for lethal. So I missed the lethal. I told her not to attack with it. <laughs> I didn't do. I I was so busy worried about the tree of perdition that I didn't crunch the numbers properly and I, I jacked it up. But fortunately, they were really nice. Like they actually came back to win on the next turn because through the illegal play of targeting themselves, making their tree of perdition a one three because they had a one one counter on it. They then we were at thirty five life, I think it was, 
they then took us from th- we went from 35 life down to three, and then they hit us with burst lightning kickered. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. <laughs> but it shouldn't have been a one three to begin with. Therefore, yeah. So I had gone to the bathroom afterwards, and I get a text: "Hey, come back. We I need the tickets." <laughs> Because apparently they're like, yeah, we we screw that up. We're just going to change tickets. So they actually gave us the win, which was really kind of them. So nice. They also had they also had drafts there. Um, you might have seen some pros talking about this. So what they did is it was like a cast kind of draft. I think it was a pack of EMA, a pack of Modern Masters, and one other thing or something like that. I don't. I didn't draft, but apparently you drafted and then you played one game. You didn't play three games in a round. You played one game. Huh. Interesting. And then you move to the next game, and you move to the next game. So I, I know some people were doing is they were actually just like, I just wanted to draft, and they would like kind of scoop through the pool of like their or their pod. Interesting. <laughs> and go through it that way. So some of the pros loved it because they were able to just like bash out a ton of drafts, and other people were like, well, I feel kind of cheaped out because it was twenty dollars for the draft. Mm. Like, because it even says in the program that one match you'll pay, you'll play three round or three matches, hmm. not three rounds. So wording probably could have been a little clearer going into it yeah maybe um, but it was still really fun uh what was really cool though is so the, the crowd wasn't really huge for the intro show because it was raining that morning so everyone was kind of just heading towards the main expo hall and stuff like that but for those of us who do it outside in line lots of employees were walking by with bags uh like duffel bags and messenger bags full of stuff so we got like i got free chandra sleeves nice this one behind me got a conspiracy draft set. I was able to peer into the bag and saw they had like Funko Pops and they had some of the intro decks for Eternal or not Eternal Master, uh, Eldritch Moon. Nice. And stuff like that. Some people got little like deck boxes. So I got the new, um, just the 80 card double sleeve pack thing from, uh, of the new Chandra art of the uh, Ultra Pro sleeves, which are pretty cool. And then when we got inside, they were handing out the Pax exclusive playmat, which was the Inventor's Fair art. But they changed it. And if you look in the Inventor's Fair art, there's like some weird silvery building in the middle of the art. They took that out digitally and put in a picture and put in the Space Needle. Nice. It actually really fits with the art, the aesthetic, which I think is pretty cool. Um, yes. I mean, Kaladesh seems as about as futuristic as uh, Wizards is going to get with Magic. And Space Needle is a pretty futuristic style building. Yeah. Well, they used one of the older pictures where it has like an orangey roof to it because it used to have an orange roof. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, so – Funny story about the playmats, though, is the prize wall had them for 10 tickets the first day, sold out of them. So then they had to go to, like, Legion had a booth there that was, sent, like, selling a bunch of, like, the actual, like, products and, like, the new little cool gremlin. Uh, or the dice bag? Dice bags and stuff and hoodies and shirts and sleeves and deck boxes. They had a they had a little store there. You could actually pay for cash for stuff. Channel Fireball, who was running the prize wall, had to go to Legion to buy new deck, new playmats oh, no. at cost. So then the 10 took that there were 10 tickets originally, and the next day they were 30 tickets. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you underprice things. Well, and they also had the uh, the, little Cal- the cool little Kaladeshian uh, console, consulate pins. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, for one ticket, they bumped up to two the next day. They had the PAX Australia Chandra pin from a couple years ago at five tickets. Oh, that's that way to, too low. And they bumped it up to eight the next day. So if you were, were there and were jamming a bunch of stuff the first day, you could have really made out like a bandit on some stuff. Otherwise, you still got, I mean, packs were two tickets a piece. So that's like lower than they normally are, right? They're usually like three tickets. The, well, the thing is, is that the tokens they were using, the economy was a little bit different. Oh, the economy was different. Okay. The economy is different from what you're used to out of things. So that's fair. Um, it's everything was kind of downshifted a little bit. So what you're like a pack, you know, is normally like 
three to was it three to five tickets or whatever like that at a normal prize wall. These were two. Okay. Um, to, for instance, a pack of Eternal Masters was eight tickets. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So it was a yeah. So everything got downshifted. It was fun. Um, I have to give major props to Watsi for it. I know I've been rambling on about it, but uh, it was a really well designed event, and they had tons of advertising for it everywhere. Oh, I haven't even gotten to the Inventors Fair. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez, you haven't even gotten to the the whole like shindig. I know the Inventors Fair. I didn't really spent a whole lot of time outside the first day like i said it was raining and it felt kind of bad because they already had it all set up and like the mat like they had like carpeting that was down on the ground it was like soaking wet i was like oh no this is gonna be so bad if it's raining the rest of the time fortunately it cleared up that was like the only time we had rain there but the tents were really cool um really neat little like seating and stuff they had built thopters so something that they announced is that you're going to get a thopter thing that you can build in your uh, little paper craft thopter in your pre-release decks at the pre-release they were actually giving out those thopter things that the thopter builds there so i got to build them they're a little tricky to build but they're kind of look cool looking so i mean as long as they're easier to build in the conspiracy crown i think we'll be fine i didn't even i tried see. to build one of the conspiracy crowns i gave it about halfway through <laughs> no they're, they're pretty decent um yeah. but yeah i enjoyed that uh i didn't get a chance to do any of the glass blowing uh, just too busy packing and doing other things like that. I would have really liked to have tried that, but apparently it was pretty fun for people who got to do it. I think one of the big things with any con is that you're never going to have the time to do everything you want. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you'll never have enough time. Yeah. Straight up, never have enough time. So even if you budget, like, your time accordingly, just be prepared to throw, like, half of what you want to do out the window. Um, Bottom line, would you pack again? Five, seven would pack again. <laughs> No, but the Inventor's Fair was really cool. Props to Wizards and everyone who was involved with that. Um, there's tons and tons of content being put out right now. Um, vlogs are happening. I know Josh Lee Kwai just put his out yesterday. Yeah, I think it went up yesterday. Yeah, um, his vlog of the whole thing. Uh, so we want to behind the scenes thing of that. I know the MTA cast, the professor. Uh, I got to hang out with him a bunch. I actually beat him at... Um, Highlander. I went five and one in Highlander this weekend. So yeah, you sent I, me a message I, saying that you're a retiring champion. Oh, I'm retiring champion because I beat Melissa Del Toro. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't mention that. So there we go. I be, yeah, I beat I beat a bunch of people from Canada. I beat the guy who actually d designed the majority of the deck that I use. So was it the mirror I, match? It was. <laughs> I won the mirror, which was amazing. So it was fun. Um, if you haven't tried community in Highlander, go listen to our episode about that, and it does. Very fun. I think we we got a lot of new converts as well this weekend for that. Oh, yeah. So. I'm sure. But anyway, let's get on to the awesome new stuff that came out. So yeah. I mentioned I mentioned the mechanics. Um, uh, the mechanics panel? Right, the mechanics panel. So, John, wh yeah. what are we seeing in this uh, set? So there are three new mechanics. There's no returning named mechanics. And earlier on, Mark Rosewater mentioned how they realized, or in his State of Design article, he mentioned how Shadows and Battle for Zendikar block were a little bit high on the complexity side because they just had so many mechanics. And they were returning mechanics and there were new mechanics. So they decided from basically from Kaladesh on that they were going to reduce the number of just sheer mechanics. So the only named mechanics we have, ex excluding the evergreen ones, are Energy, Vehicles, and Fabricate. So let's talk about energy first, because this is the one that Mark has been trying to put into his set since Mirrodin. Yes, this is the mythical uh, mechanic, mechanic E. e. Mechanic E. Uh, I actually had to specify to someone because they thought I was saying mechanic E, as in like it's a really like 
weird mechanic, but no, I was, I, it's mechanic, pause, E. But energy is a mechanic that basically adds another counter that can go on players. And then you can spend energy to do different effects. Um, so now the counters that can go on your person are experience counters, poison, and energy. And yeah. again, that's basically what it is. is. It's another resource that doesn't go away at the end of turn, that sticks around, but doesn't refresh at the beginning of your turn. Remember, kids, that does not work with doubling season. It doesn't work with doubling season. Everybody needs to remember that. Proliferate, however, it works with. It does work with proliferate, which is making people um, anxious about the fact that Phyrexia might be coming to Kaladesh, among other things. Cough, Tezzeret, cough. But, you know, whatever. Spoilers, John. Spoilers. <laughs> Anyways, energy looks like an interesting mechanic. Um, I was skeptical at first when I first saw it, but I'll get into. I'll talk more about energy when we get to the card that really sold me on it. Well, the thing with energy is for it to work and for it to be relevant as a thing, this this could potentially be another colorless mana situation wherein people are like, why are you erratic? But it wasn't the thing that already existed, but they just specified it. And Mark has Mark has already said that like he he they really should have put the colorless mana in uh, battle. Yeah, as well, and not just an oath. No, I so think the big not... thing. I think the thing with that was that they should have introduced the colorless mana symbol in battle. Granted, I know he said with retrospect that he would switch the themes. He would have colorless mana in battle, and then then do processors and jesters in oath. Yeah. I know he well, said that he would do that. But no, it's just one of the things. So, for for energy to work, it's going to have to be worthwhile to play it. Yes. And generate and and it. When I first heard, saw it, I was like, this seems really freaking cool. How are we going to get it? How much are we going to get it? Is Are we going to have to bend over backwards to get it? And that's the one thing that when a mechanic comes around, you need to be like, all right, is it something that can happen naturally? Or is it something that you have to work to get? And the yep. ones that you have to work to get usually don't fly very well. So Yeah, Mark mentioned a lot how this mechanic can be very parasitic, but they tried to mitigate that fact by making most of the cards that spend energy able to make their own yeah so that's hopefully a mitigating factor and again i'll talk about the card that really sold me on energy when we get to it um, also though i'm going to get some totally ridiculously awesome hollow foil pokemon trading card energy tokens just because please tell me that the price of those has spiked like 500 percent since since the I announcement th i think some of them have because i don't i can't like track exactly the price trend on it but i do know that there are only there's this like special hollow rare one from a set that there's only two available left on TCG, and one of them's damage, and one's moderately played, and they're like ten dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know what the I don't know what the usual Pokemon like hashtag Pokemon finance is on this one. <laughs> no, trust me, people are joking around about that. Already. I know they are. It's but, uh, anyways. <laughs> follow Ian, me on Twitter. Ian, tell us about vehicles. Get in the car. We're going to Kaladesh. No, <laughs> seriously though. We have vehicles now. So vehicles are artifacts or legendary artifacts, and they have a cool new card frame. We're going back to Brown Town, kids, because the card frame looks wood-ish. It also has rivets on the side of it. So if you've seen them, uh, an example is Sky Sovereign console flagship. We'll cover this in our thing, but that's one. That's like the big splashy, flashy one. Uh, the one they showed us to, ver to introduce these was called Oval Chase Dragster. It's four-mana artifact. But it's a 6-1. So it's an artifacts-vehicle. That's the, that's the uh, type line you're going to see on these. So it's a 4-mana for an artifact vehicle. It's 6-1, Trample Haste. Where does that come into play, John? Hmm. Well, 
The big thing that you've told me is that this is an artifact with a power and toughness, and it's not a creature yet. Correct. But it has all the stats of ball lightning so far, which is pretty darn decent. However, it has the act. So to get it from an artifact to a artifact creature, it has what's called crew, which is actually like the new mechanic regarding these actual vehicles. So the crew mechanic says, tap any number of creatures you control with total power X or more. This vehicle becomes an artifact creature to end a turn. So you'll see crew one or crew three or crew five. So basically what some people originally was like, oh, you just have three creatures. Like, well, if they're one ones, yeah. If you have a th- creature that has one power, two power, three power, you can use just that one particular creature to crew, quote unquote, your vehicle. What's really cool about this is that we saw these new little tokens called servos, which are one ones. Well, we're not, we haven't even talked about the servos yet. I know we haven't gotten to servos, but these little one one tokens, your one one tokens can power this overall chase dragster. So you're turning a one one creature that normally would just be like, oh, this is just going to die or be a chumper into a six one trample haster. Oh, yeah. So now keep in mind, too, that because these are, these will become artifact creatures, that haste is very important. You can't play something that doesn't have the haste on it and make it an artifact creature and it swing with it that particular turn unless it has haste. Yeah, you got to be careful there because not all of the vehicles have haste like Oval Chase Dragster does. Some of them you will have to wait on. Yeah, there is one Fleet Wheel Cruiser, which does have haste on it as well, but there's another one, Bomat Bizarre Barge. Which is they're, a great they're name. Try, they're try, that's, one of the, that's like the gold star right now. Or the leader, <laughs> that's the leader in the clubhouse for how many times will this card trip up the coverage team. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Have fun with that one, guys. But no, that one, so remember, it they just because they come into play and they're an artifact does not mean they can attack the first turn unless they have haste. So. The other big thing about the crew number is the for people's first reaction was is it number of creatures? And it's not. It is the total power you need to tap in order to do so. Yeah, so there's there's one that has crew five. You can tap a two two a two X and a three X. Mm-hmm. And that'll crew your vehicle. So walls can't drive vehicles, which makes total flavor sense anyways. Like, how can a wall drive a car? Unless, you know, it's something with, like, one or two power. And you're messing messing with the metaphor. Nope. (laughs) Anyways, vehicles vehicles look sweet. We're going to talk about a few in a moment. Uh, The last new mechanic is much simpler, because energy has a lot going on, and vehicles have a lot going on. Fabricate is the other mechanic, and it's much, much simpler. It's Fabricate in, where in is a number. And when the creature comes into play with Fabricate, because this is mostly going to be on creatures, I think, or entirely on creatures, you either put N plus N plus encounters on the creature, or you make N one one servos. Now, you might think, well, isn't Kalish known for Thopters? Like, that's what we saw in Origins. They tried Thopters. It was too good. It's not a meaningful choice. Um, Sam Starter said this in the Drive to Work panel, where, like, the designers would go, but no, like, I want this 3-3. It's like, no, you're wrong. You just always make flying Thopters. So case, case in point, Sandstep Outcast. Sandstep Outcast, I think was like, I think this set would probably in, be in development during Fate Reforged. So that would actually make sense or in design and basically being like, look, all the players are making 1-1 flyers, not putting counters on it. Yeah, it's like they're taking a 2-1 creature and a 1-1 flying spirit token as opposed to making a 3-2 creature. Like every time. Every time. Like it's literally, you get... A 2-1 and a 1-1. I think I made a 3-2 with that card once. Maybe. I, did just beca- I think I did it once or twice just because, like, I had a card that counters mattered. It was like, um... There's, like, the, the... There's the Long Shot Patrol. Oh, no, I had... Yeah, there's I the had Merrick a, Nightblade. No, I had the Flyer. 
Oh, that's right. The uh, Abzan Falconer. Yeah, that card will do it. I had Falconer in hand ready to go. That will do it. So, anyway. yeah, Fabricate's not like – there's not a lot going on with Fabricate. There's a lot of interplay between um, Fabricate and vehicles. Like, again, if you have like three servos, you can tap all of them to make a crew three vehicle fly. Um, but I think it's just a very simple mechanic so that they can go a little bit more in-depth. Yeah. So like I was mentioning, like the 2-1 that becomes, you know, you can get the 1-1 or the token. They actually kind of did that with the card called Propeller Pioneer. <laughs> yes. Three, three and a white for a 2-1 flyer. So they flip the flying around onto the creature and not the token. But it has Fabricate 1, so you can put a 1-1 counter on it or a 1-1 servo artifact. I would put the counter on the creature on that one, but that's just me. I mean – at its base, if you ju- if you always choose the token, it's a it's a more expensive Eldrazi Sky Spawner, so that makes sense. That because Sky Spawner was really good, and the fact they added the mana to this is also really good. Yeah. So, but anyway, so that's the kind of stuff you're going to see when you're looking at cards of Fabricate. It's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a decent little mechanic. It's going to be a decent limited mechanic. I don't think unless there's a Fabricate card that's like really push, I don't think it's going to make constructed. Oh no, I don't either. But no, uh, it's, also, it's definitely it's definitely a nice little curve filler yeah just deck filler kind of card mechanic which those are usually decent ones to worry about that's true also uh, another note um while this is an artifact block it is not a quote artifact matters block um you're going to see some cards that care about artifacts uh, and there are some artifact creatures that are colored that we're going to get to in a little bit during our little little discussion of some of the cards that have been spoiled um but this is not mirrored in 2.0 this is not another mirrored this is a steampunk etherpunk as they like to call it set that's inspired by that there's not going to be a lot of like there's no metal craft there's no affinity there's well, there's no metal craft wink wink nudge nudge i can do an entire seething song on that argument so we can save that for later <laughs> but basically Basically, uh, the point being is that there's going to be some Artifact Matters cards. There are going to be some sweet artifacts that we've seen already, um, but this is not a Artifact Matters block. This is yeah. kind of steampunk block. It's not like you need to draft artifacts or you're going to get your butt handed to you kind of thing. Exactly. Like like they said, um, they were kind of talking about in the world building panel, is how with Mirrodin and stuff like that, the metal was a part of the creatures and it like was the creatures. This is... They've adapted their lives around using metal and making their lives better with it and augmenting yeah. their lives with it. Yeah, Mark Rosar said it's not biology, it's technology. That was his that was yes. his parlance. And I think that it really does go through when you look at some of the cards and you look at the art because um, you're not going to see people with metal skin, basically. You're going to see people who are they – look, they look like regular people, but they have just all this technology in and on them. And let's go ahead and start talking about the cards. Yes. And let's talk about the card that I don't know what your first reaction was when you saw it, but I was just babbling for like three minutes straight when I first saw this card. Chandra the – you mean Chandra the, uh, the Flame Sculptor? <laughs> Chandra Torch of Defiance. Let's break this card down. Um, two red red for a four loyalty Mythic Planeswalker Chandra. Okay. She has – Four abilities. Where have I heard that stat line before? There are mm. two Planeswalkers before Chandra that have four abilities on the front. I'm not counting Arlen or Garrick Relentless because they do have five abilities, but they, you don't have access to all of them at once. So one, of on them costs, so one of them costs four mana, one of them costs seven mana. That's true. Uh, plus one, exile the top card of your library. You may cast that card. Cast is important. If you don't, Chandra Torch of Defiance deals two damage to each opponent. Don't like the card on top? Shock him. 
Yeah, or if it's a land because you can't cast lands, Correct. don't listen to Stephen Green on Commander Versus. Nope. I'm seeing you, Stephen. If you ever if you listen to this podcast, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, expect- so, some people are like, "Why can't we just play it?" Because remember, this is an Abbot of Carol Keep where you exile a card and you may play it, or stuff like Outpost Siege. Um, also, another note with Chandra's thing is that it is not until end of turn. You have to cast it as a resolution of the ability. Yes. So that is another big note. So you have to make sure that when you plus Chandra, you are ready to cast the card. Her other plus one, add red red to your mana pool. Everyone's like, oh, she's basically a two-mana Planeswalker. It's like, no, she's not. You have to play her on turn four, you guys. She yeah, just she's gets no tibbled. She just gets you some mana return, that's all. Um. She's literally just a two-mana Planeswalker, just FYI. You have to cast her on turn four, but she's literally a two-mana Planeswalker. I'll get to that oh in a moment. Oh my god, John, you're killing me. <laughs> her minus three is Chandra Torch of Defiance deals four damage to target creature. So Flame Slash, it's fine. Leave her, with a one, leave her at one loyalty, it's fine. Minus seven, you get an emblem with, whenever you cast a spell, this emblem deals five damage to target creature or player. Can I just say that that is ridiculous and absurd? That ultimate wins on four spells, not counting if they're dealing damage to your opponent. Yeah, because you just... All right, so you stick her on turn four. You plus one her. Don't cast the card. Deals two damage to your opponent. That's two. Next turn, and she's at five loyalty. You put her six loyalty, deal two more damage. That's four damage. You put her to seven loyalty. That's six damage. And then you start popping her. Yeah, and that's not counting the fact that you probably have creatures that are attacking your opponent or burn spells that you're hitting your opponent with. I saw her and I'm like, oh my god, this just goes in Thermo Alchemist Burn. <laughs> kind of does. Um, now, my big thing with Chandra is that the fact that her plus one makes two mana is silly. Because, like, yes, she does cost four mana, but her plus one buys it back and lets you cast a removal spell. Like, how relevant do you think it's going to be if I'm playing against a Black Green Delirium deck? And if I'm on the player on the draw, it doesn't really matter. They go Tireless Tracker, play a land, make a clue, go. Or they play turn three Tireless Tracker. And I go turn four Chandra. I plus one, make two mana, and then I Incendiary Flow it. Chandra went up in loyalty, and I removed removed their creature. Or you can just plus one her and kill it in that instance, too. Like, it does the same thing. No, it doesn't. Not on turn four. On turn four, you can cast Chandra, plus one her to make mana, and kill the creature. Right, it's each opponent, not target creature or opponent. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no. Her, her first plus one is only opponents. Yeah, that's right. I my bad. I just I derped on that one. Yeah, no, that's, she just domes people out. That's fine. It's new card. We all get it wrong. We all get them wrong at some point. I mean, even then, flame slash isn't terrible. And how good is a flame slash that leaves you a one loyalty planeswalker? Not terrible. It's pretty good. Um, I think that Chandra is really absurd, and I do not think I'm exaggerating in thinking that she's the best card in standard with what we've seen. I still think Liliana's going to be more expensive, though. Oh, not you too. <laughs> no, no, like, trust me, though. I don't want to pre-order Chandra at 45 bucks. But... She's at 60 now. What the hell? Yeah, she has Narset Syndrome right now. Vomit, 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 vomit. For those of you who don't know, Narset, Planeswalker, and Dragons of Tarkir was supposed to be the resurgence of blue-white control, and she wasn't, so... Currently sitting at about five or six bucks, I think. I don't know. Well, Planeswalker, like... It's well, no, we could do basic, an entire basic, episode of finance basic, if we wanted to. So let's just thing. move on. Kids, Chandra, I think, is absurd. Here, kids, here's the thing. Don't pre-order cards that are that ridiculously expensive. Don't do it. Just just play the game. Go draft some things. You'll open them eventually. Yeah, just have fun. Remember, magic's a game. Have fun. Unless you're going to win a pro tour, you don't need them right off the bat. That said, Chandra is probably going to – she's going to see standard play. She's 
She's too good not to, I don't think. The only thing that would change my my, my thing of that is if we see a Dreadbore or a two-mana Destroy Target Planeswalker effect. Yeah, anything like that. But... Anything like that is going to make me flip 180 and think that Chandra's not good. Um, I had this whole conversation with with another friend where I was like, they had Phyrexian Obliterator, New Phyrexia, and then they spoiled Dismember. Which card was better? Yeah, you need something that'll deal five damage to the dome of your opponent on turn four. Yeah. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on, because our time is, in fact, limited. And let's talk about the <laughs> new Nissa. Ian, what does Nissa do? So, Nissa Vital Force. Now, oh, I saw a funny stat, actually, before we discuss the card. There has not been a Nissa printed that has not been printed alongside... There's been no Nissa that hasn't been printed alongside a Chandra card. I did see that. That's really That's cute. pretty cool. But anyway, Nissa Vital Force, five green... Or, it's five mana... Planeswalker, so you get three green green for a five loyalty Planeswalker. Not terrible. Her plus one reads, untap target land you control. Until your next turn, it becomes a five five elemental creature with haste. It's still land. Now the reason why it says haste, kids, is so that you can attack with it even if it's the land you played this turn. It's only there to make sure that people don't hose themselves by animating a land they just played. Now that's your prototypical Planeswalker quote-unquote protection. So, cool, she passes that. Anyway, she's got a minus three. Return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. Permanent card. Land. Creature. Planeswalker. Artifact. Planeswalker. Anything that's not instant or sorcery comes back to your hand. Amazing. Uh, And you get a minus six, which says, you get an emblem with whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Now, minus six. She's a five loyalty Planeswalker. You plus one her, then alter the next turn. You can alter. I don't know if you do. I, I don't think you do, but you can. That's what everybody is focusing on with Nyssa, and it is something that you need to, you need to be careful of, because also Nyssa does silly things with doubling season in Modern or in Commander, where you play her with 10 loyalty, then you minus 6 her to 4. You may, you get the you get the one-sided Horn of Greed, because Horn of Greed is that text, but everyone. Next turn you plus her, and then you do it again, you get a double Horn of Greed, because you're degenerate like that. You know, um, what's, you know, you know what a plus one's fun for doing? What? Untapping a... Uh... If you play her on turn six, or play it on turn five, or turn or play it on turn six, or turn earlier if you have a uh, mana dork out, but uh, awakening a uh, oh a man land, cre- yeah, awakening creature land. Ooh, <laughs> how you Ooh. like a five five hex proof or a five five life linker? Uh, that's better in the late game when you can activate it as well, though. I think that's the only issue there. Well, no, no, but even then, like you can still like pop it out, and yeah, I believe it works that way, though, right? Um, so. If you un- let's say that you're playing this in an Abzan deck and you untap a Shambling Vince yeah. and then act or no, it doesn't work exactly that way. What you would have to do is you have to animate oh, the Shambling Vince like, plus one a- Nissa, then it turns into a five five lifelink. Right, because it doesn't awaken it. Yeah, it just it doesn't add the counters like Awaken does because Awaken does oh, work yeah. with them. Yeah, the Awaken makes it a zero zero with a number of counters. Right, but even then, that's still like. You untap with that. That's ridiculous. I think Nissa is best going to be used for her minus three ability and not her ultimate. Because uh, her minus three is very good. Like, it's just it's just an eternal witness for non-spells. I heard she plays well with the get good toad. She does She does play good with the get rock toad. Anyways, let's go ahead and move on and talk about the other Planeswalker we've seen so far. Mark Rosewater did say on his blog that we're getting four Planeswalker cards this block. There's currently a confusion about who the fourth one's going to be whether it's Tezzeret or Dovin Bon. But the other Planeswalker we have is Saheeli Rai, because people would literally riot if Saheeli wasn't in the set. 
um, and, after seeing her on the key art and everything. Oh, yeah. And, you know, massive marketing push. She was literally on the artwork everywhere at PAX. Oh, yeah. But anyway, Sahili Rai is a three-mana planeswalker. Where have we, we heard that those, before? We all know those are good kids. So it's one blue and a red. So she's an is it planeswalker for a three loyalty planeswalker. You get plus one, scry one. Sahili Rai does, deals one damage to each opponent. Mildly impactful. Card advantage and dome your opponent. Cool. Minus two. Create a token that's a copy of target artifact or creature you control, except it's an artifact in addition to its other types. That token gains haste. Exile it at the beginning of the next end step. Okay. That's Minus fine. seven for the ultimate. Search your library for up to three artifact cards with different names. Put them onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. If that minus hey, seven doesn't read, read the game. I don't hey know. Hey kids, it. I heard you like Turbo Tinker. <laughs> Sahili is interesting. She's a three loyalty planeswalker, and as as we have both said before, three three mana planeswalkers always see play. Always. She will, she will see play. Yes. She doesn't protect herself though. Correct. Which is mm, annoying, but you know whatever. Uh, also, Ian, uh, real quick, isn't there another three loyalty blue red planeswalker that sees play in Legacy and Vintage? I don't know. Just only the greatest thief in the multiverse. Yeah. About that. Who also likes artifacts, mind you. So we're talking about Dak Faden. Yes. I'm telling you right now, Sahili's going in my Jeskai Highlander deck. Like, girl, welcome to the party. And Chandra's not? She's also coming along for the fun. <laughs> Get in the car. We're going shopping. We're going to Kaladesh. Alright. Um, actually, since since we mentioned since we mentioned the meme, uh, let's go ahead and talk about the Sky Sovereign, the console flagship. This is a mythic vehicle. It's a legendary artifact vehicle. Uh, it's a 5-mana, 6-5 flyer. Now, again, it's not a creature automatically. It has crew 3, no haste. But when the Sky Sovereign enters the battlefield or attacks, it deals 3 damage to target creature or planeswalker and opponent controls. This is a card. It's a... It's a I think this might see construct play. <laughs> it might. Um, I tend to troll some of the cube forums around the internet, and the people were putting putting this card in their cube and basically saying, "I mean, it's a bad flame tongue kavu, it's but a I mean, it's a three. It's a, it's a flame tongue kavu. It, it'll do things. I think it's going to be very good. Um, it's, like, it's like a baby titan. It has an on attack trigger. Yeah, bolting things is usually pretty good. Being able to deal with planeswalkers is usually pretty good. It's a flyer. You're turning a three power creature into a six five flyer that bolts on attacks. That's pretty good. Like, no haste, you, so that's notable. You can hit on turn six for nine in the air. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, so, technically, over the two turns, you can well, hit for it's, 12. Well, it's not nine because it's only to Planeswalkers, not players. Well, I mean, eh. Yeah. Um, you're, still taking, you're, still taking, you're still dealing 12 damage over creatures and opponents. And, oh, yeah. You definitely are. Sky Sovereign is definitely really good. Definitely, probably a first pick in limited. We'll have to see what other type of removal is going to be in the set, but it's definitely looking really sweet. R.I.P. Smash Smithereens. Rip Smash. Um, now let's go ahead and talk about the splashiest cycle we've seen so far. We're missing one of them, but these are the Gear Hulks. These yeah. are mythic colored uh, artifact creatures that have a keyword ability and some sort of enter the battlefield trigger. Yes. So, so, okay. So yeah, this is bas- this is basically like. Our Titan set, our Titan cycle for the set. How often people, or how quickly people have forgotten the souls. I know. I'm just saying, like that. That was there. That was the Titan cycle for that for M15. 
Fair enough. So let's talk first about the first Gear Hulk we saw, which is the Verdurus Gear, Gear Hulk. Three green green for an artifact creature construct at Mythic. It's a 4-4 Trampler. When it comes into play, distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of target creatures you control. John, there's a word missing there. Uh, what is it? Other. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> How do you like an 8-8 Trampler for five, kids? I know I do. Uh, the first compar- uh, the first comparison I saw was to Wolfier's Silverheart from Avacyn Restored, which had Soul Bond give Ooh. the Soul Bonded creatures plus four plus four. That's like Perma Soul Bond. It is. Um, problem with Verdur's Gear Hulk is if you make it an eight eight, it can die to removal still. Yeah, it's true. I mean, dice removal is the worst argument to make for any creature in Magic, yeah, reg- come on, regardless don't. of format. So or if you make the- that argument, don't. Doesn't die to Doomblade. Uh, it does die to Doomblade because it's non-black. All right, I, you know, those all those removal spells have like either like the it non-black, get, non-artifact, all that kind of. Yeah, it doesn't get terrored. Terrored does say non-artifact, but it does get right. Doombladed. That's what I was thinking of. I was thinking of terror. Yeah, uh, Verdur's Gear Hulk is obviously a huge beater. It comes into play, and you can make your opponent's life very miserable, um, ba- just by putting the counters wherever you want. Uh, so, that was the first one we saw. Another one that makes life miserable for your opponent is the one that I think got today spoiled. Oh, the black one? Yeah, Noxious Gear Hulk. Oh, yeah. Of destroying a creature. It's a four black, black, five, four with menace. So that's going to be a pain to block. But when it enters the battlefield, you may destroy another target creature. If a creature is destroyed this way, you gain life equal to its toughness. Note you can't destroy itself to have six mana gain for life. Correct. That's where the another or other comes into play. Yeah, which yeah. Is- and then we had a the white one, which is the Cataclysmic Gear Hulk, which, which this is a translation. Which for some reason is not in the card gallery yet. I don't know why. No, nah, I have it on Mythic Spoiler. I know, so. but it's not in the card gallery yet, which is weird because all the other ones are. Yeah, but anyway, it's a three white white, four five vigilant uh, artifact creature construct. When it enters the battlefield, each player chooses from among the non-land permanents he or she controls an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a planeswalker, then sacrifices the rest. John, where have we seen this recently? Uh, this was Tragic Arrogance. Yep. Before that, like it was it Cataclysm. Four, how you like it on a 4-5 beater? Really good. Now, note, it doesn't get rid of lands, so don't it doesn't doesn't get in you and your opponent. It's also not as good as Tragic Arrogance because each player picks for themselves. Yeah, so it's not as great, but still a great way to clear up a clogged board state. And the fact that it's a four, on a 4-5 body is also silly. And also, you can pick the tight the the Gear Hulk as your artifact and a different creature as your creature, and it just gets silly from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, card is absurd. And then the other one we had, which also is not in the um, in the spoiler today. No, was it spoiled today? No, it was spoiled yesterday. No, no. You 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 have the card. You want I got it. The, it is the Torrential Gear Hulk. Uh, it is four blue blue for a five six construct with flash, also an artifact creature. Still at Mythic. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you may cast target instant card from your graveyard without paying its mana cost. If that card be put into your graveyard, this turn exile it instead. Um, the nickname that I've seen that's best is um, Hulk Caster Mage. <laughs> Snapcaster Hulk. That's also another good one. Um, notable, it only casts instants, not sorceries. Um, but it's still a 5 6 flash for 6 is still huge. Like, this is roughly what you're paying or less for Elder Deep Fiend. I mean, yeah, it's well. I think it's what can it pl- what what what's a good instant right now that this can get? Yeah, not many, but there's any counter spell. You also cast the instant for free. Um, well, that's, what that's what I'm saying. Like, what do we have instant? You got murder. Really, 
You've got um, geez, that one that else? was spoiled. Uh, is there is there a good incident that's been spoiled? Oh, you can cast Paradoxical Outcome. It's a card we're not going to talk about because it makes my brain hurt. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. Go go read Saffron Olive's article on MTG Goldfish about it. It's a it's a doozy. Um, I don't there hasn't see been it. any. There hasn't like, been really any spoiled, and I can't think of any like really impactful incidents right now that make me want to make me want to play it. Going to be hilarious and stuff like EDH, you know? Just, oh yeah. Just get that big old freaking. Uh, it's like, hey, you, you kids like a free uh, dig through time? <laughs> free dig through time is pretty good. Uh, it does not overload Cyclonic Rift. Yeah, so that's true. Remember that part, kids. Um, yeah. Any any alternate cost won't be paid. Yeah, you can pay kickers though. You can well, pay kickers. You know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can't you can't flashback. You can't overload. You can't do all that other fun stuff. Anyways, that's those are the gear hulks. We haven't seen the red one yet. So assuming there is a red one, which we we assume there is going to be a red one. Someone um, was saying it's going to be what was it? Combustible gear hulk or something like that. But yeah, this, it's going to blow. It's going to blow stuff up. Uh, I the the design that I am hoping for is using the Stencia Innkeeper mechanic and tap down all your opponent's lands. Ooh, brutal. That that's my that's my secret hope. It's not going to happen, but that that's my little little secret hope. John, you're so hateful. Look, man, you can only play Storm for so long. Hateful. <laughs> Anyways, the next card we're going to talk about real quick is Pia Nalar, which is a big spoiler um. for the story because. The mom from Mom and Pop Thopter Shop, or Pia and Kieran Nalar, is actually alive, much to our surprise. But it's so sad, though. <laughs> She's a two and a red for a two-two legendary human heart artificer. When she enters the battlefield, you make a one-one colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying. So Thopters are still here. Uh, one in the red target artifact creature gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. So fire breathing, which is nice. And then for one and second artifact target creature can't block this turn. She only brings one into play because there's only one of them. You know why she's a 2-2? Because uh, she had to be stronger when Kieran passed away. Aww. <laughs> God damn it. We're the worst. Uh, I, I didn't come up with that one, but yeah. it's Thanks, PNLR is an interesting card. A big story hit. Um, I don't know if play, as pl- nearly as playable as Mom and Pop was. But. It's really not. Like, But she's, really, she's going to be sweet and limited. I don't think she's going to see standard play or anything older than that. But she's really good. In limited, I think. Yeah, so what, what other crazy stuff have we seen so far? Uh, we have a new spoiler, which uh, made um, Aaron Campbell really happy, which was Key to the City. What does Key to the City do, Ian? So Key to the City is a two-mana artifact. It says tap, discard a card. That's your that's the payment for it. Up to one target creature can't be blocked this turn. Okay. Whenever Key to the City becomes untapped, a.k.a. your untapped step, you may pay two if you do draw a card. That seems good. I, I was like, yeah, man, madness. And I started thinking, I was like, at first I'm like, oh, God, they gave Dredge something. <laughs> Granted, it's a two-mana card for Dredge, which makes it much worse than a one-mana card for Dredge. But it's still a card for Dredge. I know. They can't make every card not for Dredge, though. I know. Just card like, was really sweet. Also pretty flavorful because it unlocks every door. Oh, yeah. I, there's something that's going to come up. This has to be in the story at some point because the flavor text says it would be unfortunate if the key fell into the wrong hands. It's like, come yeah. on. It's yeah. just screaming for story spoilers right it there. It is. Uh, now, real quick, we don't have time to go to, through the rest of the cards, but I do want to talk about one card in particular um, that sold me on the energy mechanic. Oh, yes. And it's really it's a really innocuous card, um, but the card is Harnessed Lightning. It is okay. an uncommon. It's one in a red instant choose target creature you get three energy then you may pay any amount of energy 
Harness Lightning deals that much damage to that creature. Now, the reason why this card sales sold me on the mechanic is when we first saw the mechanic, when Mark Rosewater introduced us to us, he showed it to us on a big, splashy mythic artifact, which is Aetherworks Marvel. What, what Aetherworks Marvel does is a four-mana legendary artifact. Whenever a permanent you control goes to your graveyard, you get an energy. Then you can pay six energy to cast a spell in the top six cards of your library for free. But that didn't really sell me on how good this mechanic can end up being. What sold me was this uncommon. Yeah. Now, this uncommon is not very exciting, right, Ian? It's a scalable lightning strike, dude. Now, that's not why it sold me on it. The reason that sold me on it was I was watching the Spell Slinger Showdown on the replays. Now, the Spell Slinger Showdown is on YouTube, so you can go to the Magic's YouTube channel and you can find it and watch it. We'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But basically, they had LSV, Chris Cluey, and Mark Rosewater playing decks against people from the crowd um, on stage with Kaladesh preview cards inside of them. Now, LSV had some sick value where he drew seven cards for three mana. It was silly because, of course, they gave LSV the blue-black deck. But I want to talk about Mark Rosewater was playing against somebody from the crowd, and he was playing a red-green deck. And it had these cards, Voltaic Brawler. Uh, It also had this card, Long Tusk Cub, which made energy and spent energy. But it wasn't until I saw Harness Lightning Resolve that really just sold me on the mechanic. So the scenario is that Mark is attacking the, uh, the, the audience member with a 3-2 and a 2-2 that you can pay 2 energy to put a counter on it. And the defender and the audience member, she had a Rattle Chains in play because she was playing a blue-white deck. And Mark had one energy still. And he goes, okay, before blocks, I'm going to cast Harnessed Lightning. I'm going to get 3 energy, and I'm going to target your Rattle Chains. As a result, I'm going to get 3 energy and spend 1 energy to kill your Rattle Chains. Now, that doesn't sound very exciting, but that just opened my entire eyes to the flexibility of this mechanic. So, for example, Ian, let's say that you're attacking me with a 2-2. Right. And I have no energy. Yep. And you have a giant growth in hand. Yep. I cast Harness Lightning targeting your creature. What do you do? Giant growth in response. Okay. I get three energy and spend none of it. Yep. What if instead I have two energy... And you have a 2-2 with a giant growth in hand, which, as for our viewers who may not know, it gives plus 3, plus 3. And I cast Harness Lightning targeting your car- your creature. What do you do? Yep. Giant growth. Now, or what if do I? Or do you? Because you can giant growth it to make me spend all my energy. And then, if you do that, I can I can still get 3 energy and then not spend any of it, because I know that my that my card is, is not trading favorably. Yeah, or it could be something like, all right, have I seen him with other cards that require energy that matter? Do I want to force him to spend his energy here? It's it's really cool. Like This card alone, in just that scenario, in that one particular deck, which was a, basically a red-green aggro deck that uses energy in various different ways, um, like Voltaic Brawler is a 3-2 for red and a green, it's a human warrior. When it enters the battlefield, you get two energy, and then when it attacks, you can spend an energy to give it plus one, plus one to trample. Like... That card alone sold me on energy being a good mechanic because we also have like live fast and die young. There's also like these big splashy rares, but this uncommon is the card that really t- took me by the took me by the collar and said, "You're gonna like this mechanic," and Look I think I it. am. Look at it. Like this card again on its own just sold me on this entire mechanic. Look at the card. It is the mechanic now. Basically, but now I've seen people like, why can't I just have this target a player? Because uh, there are cards that will make you multiply your energy and get a lot of energy. And I don't know about you, but one red dome you for 10 seems kind of like, like, 
there's there's a there's a common woodweaver's puzzle knot. It's a two mana artifact that when it comes into play, you gain three life and get three energy, and then for two and a green and sacrifice it, you get three life and get three energy. Like combining that with with the harness lightning could deal nine damage. Yeah, and that's for an output of uses two, three, five plus two, seven, seven, seven mana, mana deal nine damage. I would play. I would definitely pay that. And it's and it's like in installments. It's not yeah. even like you have to pay seven mana right now. It's like you pay two, you pay three, you pay two. Bam. It's not even counting the other sweet energy cards we've seen, like Laugh New Hellion, Demon of Dark Schemes, or the new Hydra, Bristling Hydra, like Artif- Art- Architect of the Untamed. Yeah, which is ridiculous. That we gotta just talk about that one real quick. Like two, th- it's two and a green for a two three Elf Artificer Druid. So first off, let's thank God. That I mean, I love that. I know I played it, but let's thank God the collective company is out of standard. I saw someone also saying this like, they're like the, the most thing they're the thing they're most ex- most excited about this spoiler season is not evaluating cards based off of does this get hit by collective company. Whee! But anyway, so this says whenever a land enters, it's a creature. So it's two. Is it two three for three? Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you get an energy. Yeah, that's pretty good. There are so many ways to break this in standard right now with enter like with land. Get back, like, a lot of these Delirium decks are just dumping lands in their graveyard. Like, you could play something like this and have, um, what was the one that puts all the lands back into play? Splendid Reclamation? Yeah, Splendid Reclamation. You just Splendid Reclamation all your lands back after, like, dumping a bunch in your graveyard. You get a ton of energy. Oh, and it has pay eight energy. Is it eight? Yeah, it's it eight. It is eight. Yeah, pay eight energy, create a six-six colorless beast artifact creature token. Like, this, card is, this card has a very big splashy effect. Very big splashy effect. Don't know if it's constructed playable, but if it was in a if collected company was around, I could bet you anything people would test this card. I do not think this card is as good as people are thinking it is. I do not think this card is going to see standard play, and I think that the eight energy is going to be cost prohibitive. Oh, I do too. But this the way that this I just using this as an example of like there's all there's ways of just like just playing the game that they're get like they're exploring the space of how you play the game will just get you energy, which yeah. I think great. And that's what, like I mentioned earlier when we brought it up, it's like, do you have to work hard for this? As you can see, you don't really have to work that hard for it. Yeah, no, like Long Tusk Cub, you get two energy when it hits a creature, when it hits a player, and it's already a 2-2 two, two for two, so that's already fine. Um, there's a, there's an artifact um, fabrication module that whenever you, or that you can pay for mana to get an energy, and then whenever you get an energy, you can put a counter on a creature you control. Um, there's decoction module that whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you get an energy, like... The ways of getting energy in this set are going to be plentiful. Yeah, so don't worry too much about it. Like, there are going to be decks that want energy, and there are decks that are not going to want energy. Just make sure you know which one you're in. Yeah, and we're barely even half a week through spoiler season. Like, Oh, my God. And can I just – can we touch on this before we go? Sure. I want to I wanted to touch on the enemy fast lands. Oh, yes, the enemy fast lands. Real quick. Ooh. Real quick, the enemy fast lands. They are lands that enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or fewer other lands. And in these case, they tap for the enemy colors, green-black, blue-green, white-black, red-white, and blue-red. Ian, go. We saw this original mechanic way back in the Scars block, Scars Mirrodin, with the friendly ones. That's like your green-white and stuff like that. But this one has the color sets of white-black, red-blue, green-black, red-white, and blue-green. And this is an absolute insane boon for modern like this is insane for modern. Like, I, in, in fact, I'm jam- I'm going to be possibly jamming four of these in my the the blue green one in my infect deck because this means I can shave four fetch lands. I don't have to worry about grabbing them up anymore. 
and taking damage and all that kind of stuff. Like you don't want three more than three lands anyway in an infect deck because you're then you're stalling and going into the long game, and that's not what the deck wants to do. In standard, it's just going to be a great maybe two one or two two or three of in some decks. If they're going to want to go fast, you're probably going to want to play some more of these. But like, I'm excited. Uh, also of note for modern, Abzan loves Blooming Marsh and Concealed Courtyard. Burn loves Inspiring Vantage. And you cannot tell me that Delver is excited about Spire Bluff Canal, the blue-red one. Ooh, hot under the collar for that Spire Bluff Canal, man. Oh, yeah. Um, now, those are the rare dual lands for this block. Um, as I kind of expected, it's an enemy cycle. And I love that they're they're going back and redoing or finishing up cycles. Yeah, they, they, they've really been honing in on the enemy cards lately, giving us the rare rare cycles with these. Yeah. So. If only Dragons of Tarkir was what Mark Rosewater originally wanted with enemy legendary dragons. But, oh, that would have been disgusting. But, you know, c'est la vie. Anyways. Anyway, I'm loving this set so far. Some yeah, of these We're going to have to spend... Oh, man. We're going to talk next week about it. Dude, oh, we, got, yeah. we got dwarves back. <gasps> yeah, we, we haven't even talked about, about Vampire and Lighthawk. <laughs> Yes, like there's so much to talk about this set. It's incredible. I shouldn't have rambled about PAX, but PAX was amazing as well. Um, nah, screw it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I enjoyed PAX. I enjoyed rambling on about it because it's so much fun. And we're but probably yeah. going to have to find time to p- bring Carrie on and talk all about the, uh, the, the story because, man. Oh, my God. They're hitting man. hard, fast, and heavy with this story, and I love it. Yeah. Wizards is doing a lot of things right right now, and they're doing some things wrong. Yeah, but for the most part, they're I feel they're heading in a very good direction. Um, and also, real quick before we do go, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, yesterday. Um, animation module, decoction module, and fabrication module were spoiled on the Wizards Mothership by Megan Wolf of Magic the Amateuring. Um, <laughs> now they're really sweet cards. We can talk about them at another time. But I think uh, we were the first, or I, because I, John, run the the Eyes of the Mice Twitter account. Uh, tweeted out the pictures of these artifacts saying that, hey, look at these cool artifacts that were spoiled by MTA cast on Wizards. Um, and Mythic Spoiler uh, linked me or us as the source. Um, <laughs> I went ahead and made several tweets about this, and I retweeted uh, the MTA cast's tweet about how Megan was the one who wrote these. And I just want to go ahead and say it in the podcast that um, we were not given these cards. These are Megan's cards. Like, we did not know what these cards existed. Um, yeah, remember, spoil, the Mythic Spoiler is some – I don't know who runs it or who uploads the cards. So they could have just been like looking through the timeline for MTG KLD and saw that you were one of the first people who had the actual pictures for the card up and that's fine. So Yeah, and they apparently out. they didn't even read the tweet either because I did reference. Um, but another thing that, that I'm going to make sure that I do a more conscious job of is make sure that whenever you see a tweet from us that has spoiler cards – uh, it's either a retweet of somebody who has the card themselves or it includes a link to the original article just to avoid any sort of confusion about who maybe spoiled these cards. Yeah, now, granted, because, that – go ahead. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying there's no ill will or anything like that towards the MTA girls. No, like no, Megan no. and Maria are amazing girls, and I they're, I consider them friends of mine. I mean I freaking roomed with <laughs> Megan of all people for GP Portland, so it's not like there's any kind of ill will. We're trying to like, step on anyone's toes, so – I mean, and, and think this is this is me because I was running the account. Like, I don't. I've never met Megan or Maria. Um, I do. I do like their work, and I think they do an amazing job. I didn't want to step on any toes. So, if there is any ill will about this, I want to apologize. Um, or even projected ill will. Any, yeah, any projected ill will. It was only meant like, 
everybody is tweeting pictures about cards and talking about them and people i I guess sometimes the source gets a little mixed up yeah so the you know remember kids always properly cite your sources always get credit where credit is due mla format or apa depending on what your professor wants you or your teacher wants you to do oh god hey man chicago style man oh no (laughs) (laughs) anyways that's going to do it here for us this week. We have so many more cards about from Kaladesh to talk about, but we only have so little time. Uh, Ian, where can people find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash DixonIJ. Uh, you can also find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Dix. I have not been streaming at all lately because life gets in the way. But hopefully soon, um, once this whole, whole barrack shenanigans stuff still going on, so once that gets sorted out, more streams will come. Um, definitely looking to maybe do a stream or two with you, John, uh, once Kaladesh comes out online. Hopefully, oh, yes. right around the time. We also need to figure out a time where we're going to stream Eternal. Oh my God! Yeah, so many things. So many things to do. So little time. But anyway, exactly. John, where can they find you? You guys can find me on Twitter at jwiley129. I'm also on Twitch for the same handle, but I still don't stream. Um, I don't know. There's no timetable for me streaming. I just yeah, know just, I need to get a new computer. Yeah, you guys will see him in chat. You'll see me around. Uh, also, if you want to reach the podcast on Twitter, we are at Eyes on the Mize. Uh, or if you have a more personal or direct question, you can find you can email us at Eyes on the Mize at gmail.com. Ian and I will definitely take in your responses and read them with our eyes. Yes, please do. Uh, we are looking again to maybe do a mailbag thing in the future. So if you have any questions for us, start queuing them up. Probably once Kaladesh winds down. But dude, because. It's just gonna roll into the next thing. <laughs> oh Lord, it's just gonna it's just gonna snowball. Um, oh. Anyways, please make sure you leave us a review, um, either sending it directly to us on Twitter or on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time.